Hi, and welcome to Mumspire, your go-to place for inspiration, information, and great tips on how you can become a happier and healthier mum. My name is Anna Maria, and I'm your host. I work as a naturopath, nutritionist, herbalist, doula, and yoga instructor. But most importantly, I'm a fellow mum. So very recently, I was reminded of how difficult it is for us as mothers when we have an unwell child. And of course, I work as a naturopath and I see many children of all ages with digestive and immune dysfunctions. So none of this is essentially news to me or foreign to me in any way. But what I was experiencing was the emotional struggle that came upon me when I saw my oldest child feel unwell for an entire week. And that's something that happens very rarely in my house. And it was, in fact, the first time that she's ever been down with the flu, essentially. So it's not more alarming than the flu. But what puzzled me was how I reacted to seeing her so unwell. And it just reminded me of, you know, how emotionally attached we are. I call it the invisible umbilical cord because we cannot just objectify or distance ourselves from how our children are feeling. And I wonder if it ever changes. And maybe it's the blessing in disguise or the curse in disguise of being a mum. But today's podcast is going to be about children's immune system. Because here in Australia, in Sydney, where I'm sitting recording this, it's winter right now, it's July. And when we enter seasonal changes, so spring, fall, and winter, we'll all get bombarded with colds and flus and coughs and snotty noses, and it's everywhere at the moment. So I think this is a very timely episode to bring out there. And on top of that, of course, because I personally had to go through seven days of just feeling like a very unhappy mama bear taking care of my little baby cup. So what we need to understand when it comes to children's immune system, it is that the gut and the digestive system is so closely interlinked with the immune system. They are so anatomically close that if one is unwell, the other one will be unwell. So if there is something going on digestively for your child, it's going to directly affect the immune system. And of course, the other way around. So that's why typically when we're unwell, the whole body just slows down. It's not going to spend much time on digestive functions and things like that. So they're so closely interlinked and there is a reason for that. But the important thing for you to know is that if we're not taking care of the digestive system on a day-to-day -day basis, then it's going to impact our children's immune system. And what I often see is that children that have problems with their digestion, so whether it's constipation, chronic constipation, or a very, very fussy eaters, so they only like three things, which is milk, pasta, and white bread, and of course, sugar, they're prone to get more frequent infections compared to other children. So it's important to remember that the digestive system will have a direct impact on the immune system and vice versa. So we have to take care of both. And that really means that the diet is our medicine. And I love the term food is medicine because it really is. It truly is every single day what we are making in the kitchen, what we're feeding ourselves and our children is what really feeds the body on a cellular level. And it really makes or breaks their constitution, their long-term health, and their immediate health. 
So the cool thing is there is so much we can do. And the downside is that if we don't pay attention and if we don't put the effort in, it's going to have an effect that is quite negative for our children and ourselves for that matter. We also need to understand that we all have a genetic setup, of course. So if you know in your family you're prone to sore throats or prone to get fevers at the first infection, or if there's something that really seems to be a red thread in your family, it may be allergies or psoriasis or asthma or things like that. If there is a repetitive story, you know, on the mum's side or the dad's side, then that's part of the genetic setup. And it's very important to remember this because your child is directly going to be affected by that. The last thing that's important to remember is that birth impacts our digestive and immune system because the way we're built in the womb, the way we build our children in the womb is directly going to be affected by the microbiome, the bacteria that we have in our digestive system when we're carrying the babies is what sets up the baby for life, essentially. And then, of course, birth. If there has been complications, if the baby has been born very quickly or if it's a cesarean, they're probably missing out on some bacteria that are very important at that initial setup of their immune system and their long-term health. So really remembering that what we need to understand is that every single day diet, the genetic setup, and just thinking back on the birth and the labor and the pregnancy, was there complications? Was there a medication? Are there things that potentially could have affected their sort of initial setup of their digestive system? Because we know that the digestive system is going to speak directly to the immune system. So if it's, if it's lacking, it's going to directly cause maybe a deficient immune system. The other thing I often have to remember mothers and parents of is that infants and babies and toddlers are meant to get colds and flus occasionally. And they're meant to do this so that they have a learning process within the body and within the immune system. They have to learn pathogens to build up a strong immune system. So essentially, although it's not nice to see our children unwell, it is important that they are exposed and that their bodies learn how to deal with the infections, the viruses, the bacteria, and so on. That's a very important learning curve for them. And it takes a couple of years for the immune system to really become strong and sturdy in that regard. And I read a recent study that claimed that babies get six colds per year compared to adults, which gets two to three. So they are meant to have a couple of more runny noses than we do. So it's not that that's excessive. It's actually part of the learning development of the immune system. So that is considered healthy. What we want to see, however, we want to see that when that cough or when that runny nose or the fever, when that hits, we want to see that the child has a fairly rapid turnaround. So it sort of comes and it goes. We want to see that the child gets an invasion of a runny nose or a cough, and then the body can turn it around within 24 to 48 hours. So we don't want to see a lingering cough, lingering phlegm, and the child feeling unwell for long periods of time. That's not the healthy sign. So frequency is okay when they're young, but we don't want to have it lingering for long periods of time. And that's essentially what we can call normal, quote unquote. So I think that's important to remember because if you feel like, my goodness, we've had a cold every month for the last six months, maybe your child has started daycare or maybe you've been more social, maybe you've been traveling. Your child is then meant to actually adapt to the surrounding environment 
and that's okay. As long as you can tick off the box that your child actually had a turnaround fairly quickly. So where do we go wrong with all of this? Well, one thing is we tend to suppress the immune system and it happens, and I see this time and time again in my clinic with the parents when they come in here and they're frustrated and they've had a child that's been unwell for months sometimes, or at least weeks, and nothing works and it keeps coming back. Perhaps different versions of a cough, maybe it's a shallow cough, maybe it becomes a deep phlegmy cough, and then it turns into a runny nose and so on and so on. Typically, you know, we tend to suppress the immune system because, and I now understand that very well because I've just had to go through this, so it's very vivid in my mind, because we freak out to a certain extent. We do not like to see our children unwell. And all we want is for them to bounce back and be their normal, happy self again very quickly. So when we have so many quick fixes around, such as Panadol and antibiotics available to us so easily, it is a no-brainer. I totally understand that we want to just take the pain away. We want to just make them feel a little bit better. We want to just suppress that fever very quickly. I completely understand that whole emotional attachment to seeing our children feel a little bit better at least very quickly. The problem is we're suppressing the immune system. We're not allowing the immune system to actually go through the motions, going through a very natural and healthy and very strong healing process that actually is meant to create a fever, create an immune function that actually kills off the pathogen or the virus, the bacteria in a natural manner. And then it goes away. And then there is an immune memory in place. But when we interfere with Panadol especially, we really disrupt not only the gut flora that, you know, that gut and immune link gets very much disrupted, but we also don't allow for the natural process to take place. And it's because we worry too much. And I did for seven days. I was almost freaking out every day thinking that my daughter was feeling depressed and what could I do and how could I possibly take the pain away differently? And so we, we worry too much. And that's where I had to remind myself. I actually had to go back to my old study books and just remind myself of the very intricate dance and the development of the immune system and what actually is taking place and what is occurring and that it was okay and it was a normal process. So we worry too much and that means that we act too fast and we suppress the immune system with things like Panadol, which really isn't helping them or doing them any favors in the long run. And what we also tend to go wrong is that we tend to isolate that, all right, my child has a a fever, they have the flu or a cold, and that's what we deal with. But we forget that there is the gut link. So we can actually do so much with the diet to directly impact the immune system immediately. But because we don't think in that term, we tend to just focus on how can we suppress the current symptoms that my child is having. And we do that in the most well-meaning way. I absolutely get that. But if we can join the dots and go, well, there is these symptoms, I need to address it via the digestive system because that is the most available place that you can impact your child because you can give them drinks and food. And it really will have an immediate impact on how they're feeling. So if we zoom in on this idea of the digestive system being perhaps the ruler of the roost when it comes to the immune function, then we're not spending enough time building up a really solid and sturdy digestive system. 
And what that requires is, of course, as I mentioned earlier, is that food as medicine every single day, making sure that we're feeding them the things that they require to build a strong and resilient immune fu uh, digestive function. But we also need to take our children into nature a little bit more. And of course, I can't generalize this too much, but for us city-siders that are living in the suburbs and probably spend a lot of time driving in the cars to and from school, to and from daycare, the coffee shops, the supermarket, and so on. We're not exposing our children to enough of what creates a healthy digestive and immune system, which is the microbiome, all the beautiful bacteria that is actually available in the air that we breathe when we're in nature. So go into very lush and biodiverse nature helps feed us on a cellular level all those wonderful bacteria and yeasts that build up a strong immune system and digestive system. So this is really, we cannot really address the immune system without constantly having to go back to the digestive system. And I think that's important for you to really understand that the more you can do in that department, the less worry you'll have on your hands with an unwell child, or at least you will see them bounce back a lot quicker. So the things we really have to focus on when it comes to seasonal changes and we're, when we're heading into winter, or even if you're starting your baby in, in daycare, where you know there's going to be more exposure to pathogens and, and viruses. It is very important that we remember the number one thing that I know is kind of boring, <laughs> but it's one of those things we tend to forget so frequently. And it's not becoming enough of a habit is what I'm seeing. I constantly have to remind everyone. And it is to wash our children's hands. In daycares, they do have a very set routine every single time the children change from one activity to another, or if they go outside or inside, they always have to wash their hands. It's a very tight protocol, but we don't really have that at home. And it's because it's a hassle. It's a hassle to constantly remind our children to do it because guess what? They're going to say, no, <laughs> I want to play instead, or I don't have time. But we have to implement this in our routine, if nothing else, especially when there is a seasonal change and we're heading into winter, because that is the number one thing that actually works extraordinarily well. And it's so simple. So I am by no means a germaphobe. I love germs. I love bacteria. And I think we're probably in general using too many hand sanitizers and chemical sprays around the house that are disrupting this beautiful biodiversity of bacteria that are essentially healthy. But washing our hands with water and soap is the number one protocol. And it essentially also comes to our bodies. So when we're showering our children or bathing our children, they don't really need soap and all kinds of lotions. They just need warm water a good washcloth, and then of course, soap for the really dirty bits. But they don't need to be lathered up all over every single day in soap. So it's more of a, an occasional thing, and especially in the very dirty bits and the hands. So we want to just, you know, take a step back and, and assess whether we are really overloading our children and making them overly clean because part of the immune system is actually the biodiversity of bacteria that's on the skin. So it all sort of plays into this. So it's quite a large picture here, a big picture of understanding how the immune system works and how much we can actually interfere with this natural, beautiful process. And what we also need to really make sure of is that we focus a lot on sleep because that is where the immune system does a lot of work and a lot of healing. So if we're going through winter and there's 
a truckload of social engagements and your child is getting to bed a little bit too late, too frequently, for example, then that's one of those things that plays into the bigger picture of potentially compromising your child's immune system. So definitely wash the hands regularly and make sure that they're getting to bed at a decent time because that way you're using all these preventative factors and making sure that you're giving your child what it needs to actually have a resilient immune system that can ward off all these invaders and pathogens. And then of course, there is the immune foods. We cannot talk about as I've said now a million times, we cannot talk about the immune system without talking about the digestive system. So what we really need to have available is the immune foods. And my favorites are, of course, chicken broth, chicken soup, and bone broth. The other important elements are, the, of course, we're talking about the bacteria in the air going into nature. We need to also get good bacteria from the food. So there are things like fermented foods, sauerkrauts, yogurts, and things like that. If your child are not liking any of these, so if they don't like chicken soup, if they don't like any type of broth, if they don't like yogurt and so on and so on, then it's worth starting to incorporate these foods into the child's diet so that it becomes a norm. The earlier you do it, the better, because it is very hard to get a child who's feeling unwell to eat something they don't like. I would probably say that it's impossible. So if you can do all these preventative factors on a daily basis so that when the fever does hit or when the cough does hit and the tonsillitis is set in, then you don't have more struggle than you need. And if a chicken soup is somewhat familiar, then it's not going to be as hard, that's for sure. And you can still nourish your child really well without too much of a struggle. And I would go as far as to say that when we know we're entering winter, for example, or spring or fall, where there is going to be temperature shifts, then it is a time to just clean up the diet a little bit. Maybe check in and see, okay, well, I've noticed that a couple of the children in the daycare or at the school have had a, maybe croup has been going around, or maybe there's been tonsillitis or there's been fevers or maybe a digestive bug. If you start to pick up on this in your community, then it's time to just clean up the diet. Just check in, do a little housekeeping when it comes to your family's health. And the things we need to avoid in that instance is very highly processed foods, of course. They don't really do anything good for us in any shape or form, apart from tasting great and our children often prioritizing those. We need to clear them out during that phase so that at least we're making sure we're not feeding any inflammation or depriving our children of any beautiful nutrients that they actually need in a period of time where there's an increase in viruses and bacteria. So what we need to make sure is we clean out the processed food. So that's things like cereals and crackers and anything that's really coming from a package, I suppose, mueslis and so on. They don't really belong to the diet when we're trying to look after the immune system. Sugar, of course, is a major one because sugar creates inflammation in the digestive system and it also feeds phlegm. So if there is a little bit of phlegm or a runny nose or a cough, then sugar will for sure make sure that there is going to be more cough and more phlegm very quickly because bugs and bacteria and viruses, they feed off that fast, great energy that sugar brings. As soon as we have a pathogen in our body, it takes all the sugar that it can out of the foods that we're having. Hence, we need to diminish and make sure we're not having as much in that period of time. And of course, I'm sure you're aware that dairy is also a tricky one in this period of time. If your child is a dairy lover, which a lot of children are, then I would start to reduce that quite 
rapidly if you know that there is sort of a cold and flus going around in your community. And maybe substitute it for something else, but at least make sure they have a lot less than what they normally would have. And to some extent, remove it for the period of time, especially if your child is already unwell. Dairy is an absolute no-go in my house. As soon as I hear the slightest cough or the slightest runny nose, it gets removed immediately. And actually, my children, they are well aware of that. They know that if they're coughing, they're not allowed to have any dairy. And it just helps me. It helps me so I don't become the bad cup because it's so implemented in them now that they understand that as soon as there are those early warning signs that something's up, they cannot have the excess sugars and they cannot have excess gluten and dairy. They're really well aware of it. So the hard work is actually taken out of that equation, luckily, because I've started that from the get-go. So if you want to start to implement that, you'll make it just so much easier on yourself when your children inevitably feel unwell. So the real alarm signs that I would really make you aware of is the frequency. So does your child get a cold and then as soon as they've recovered, they get the flu or they may get tonsillitis or they get an ear infection or they get conjunctivitis. Do you see a little bit too frequently that one overlaps the other? Is it a constant visit to the GP's office? Is it a constant pulling out the Panadol from the cupboard? If you're doing that too frequently, it's a sign that the immune system is overloaded and is not coping. So frequency, if it's just a 24-hour thing and it happens every couple of months, that's part of the norm. But if it's too frequently and if it's lingering, it is not what we want to see. Then you need more assistance. Another thing that I often ask my patients, uh, so the parents, of course, of the children, is to run their fingers alongside the, the tonsils of the throat. So along the jawline there where the jaw sort of hits the throat, you can feel the tonsils there. And in our little small children, they're very small. But if you notice that your child is having a bit of a, a temperature, maybe not a full-blown fever, but they're a little bit down, a little bit lethargic, maybe a runny nose or a tickly cough, then just always run your hands gently alongside that jawline and check in with the tonsils. It's a very easy little thing you can do at home. And you can just check whether they're coming up a little bit. And they typically are when there is a, an infection and, and a tonsillitis or something like that is coming in. And it's important to then have a look and just so you can keep track because a little bit swollen is essentially part of the immune function and the defense system. And that's okay. But if you notice that they've been raised for a week or two weeks, then it's not. We want to make sure we take action. So just checking those physical symptoms is one of those things that we probably could do more often. We're pretty good at taking our children's temperature, for example. And then there's the obvious, you know, snotty noses and coughs and things like that we can't avoid to see. But also checking the tonsils and see what's going on in that department, how long they're raised for. So at least you can tell your healthcare provider that I've noticed the tonsil has been, has been raised for two weeks, for example. And another very important element that I have to mention is our children's poos. Yes, we will always, until they are teenagers <laughs> and they won't allow it anymore, we will have to check in with how their poos are coming out, essentially. If your child is constipated, something is definitely not working very well. So if it's only a couple of times a week and they have to strain and it's a bit sore and they feel a bit bloated, something is, is most likely not right in the digestive system and we need to support them. The other thing is that typically... When a child is experiencing 
a virus infection or a bacteria infection, they often get runny stools and um, they may become a bit more gassy and bloated and their, their poos might be a bit more smelly. So those are early signs that the immune system is working very hard at something. So those are the sort of quote unquote alarm signs, but those things that I want you to keep an eye out for so that you can take action early on rather than when the infection has totally set in. So what do we need to do? In reality, as you know already, we need to look after the diet. We need to make sure that we have those healing and whole foods available for our children. There is so many different versions of soups that you can make for your child. And I guarantee there is one that they do like. But if you make any type of soup that they like, maybe they like pumpkin soup, maybe they like green monster pea soup or whatever you can come up with of creative ideas. But if you make soups for them that are in a base of bone broth or chicken broth, you can rest assured that your child is getting a lot of nourishment that is both feeding the digestive system and the immune system. And it's a great way to also keep them hydrated, of course. We need to make sure that they're resting. So not allowing them to burn the candle in both ends. So that means maybe less social engagements for that period of time where you notice that they're coming down with something. So let them rest and really look after the diet. Be strict. And as much as you can, do this as preventative measures. So start incorporating some of those healthy foods that can be a bit more of a challenge for our children. But if it becomes the norm, as I said, it's less work later on. Probiotics, I think, is probably my number one favorite because they do so much wonderful work. And there are billions and trillions of different types of probiotics, but there are quite a lot of decent ones available in pharmacies and health food shops that you can always start out with. So if you know your child doesn't have the most perfect diet, and who does really, um, and you see your child coming down with a fever or a sore throat, then start putting some of those beautiful bugs into their gut. So getting a baby or a child-friendly probiotics from the pharmacy or from the health food shop or from your healthcare practitioner is a wonderful first place to go to because, as you know now, if the gut is looked after, we're also looking after the immune system and nothing looks after the gut like probiotics does. There is so much we can do when it comes to supporting our children in the early stages, in the acute phases, and in the chronic stages of an immune infection. And I, of course, being a herbalist, love using herbs because children respond so quickly to my treatments and to getting those really strong, active constituents that we have in herbal medicine. So I'm a big fan of using herbs as medicine. So my children do get a, a regular dose of very potent and not so pleasantly tasting herbs because it is part of that preventative measures, especially leading into winter. Supplements, of course, you are so familiar with supplements. They're everywhere. There are many different versions in supermarkets, in pharmacies and health food shops. They're not all great quality. That's the truth because they're not all made in the same way. They're not all made in the same form that, and it all depends on how they're absorbed and utilized in the body. Anyways, it's a very long process to explain, but there are supplements available out there that are very decent and reasonable, especially from health food shops and things like your vitamin C, your zinc, those immune boosting supplements are definitely a first protocol to use. So if you can grab some baby or children-friendly probiotics 
some vitamin C and zinc that is recommended for children in your local health food shop, then that's a great place to start, a much better place to start than just suppressing the immune system with Panadol, for example. And then there are, fantastically, truck loads of old school home remedies that can be made out of stuff you have in the cupboard that are tasting great because great thanks to honey. Honey can be used in so many different great home remedies for children, especially when it comes to fevers and sore throats and coughs and phlegm, all those different things. There's so much that we can offer our children that is very easy to make and are quite fast acting. So there's a lot of beautiful home remedies that are available. I have some available on my YouTube channel, which you can find on my website, annamaria.com.au. And you can Google away, but there is so much great information on home remedies, especially for children. So I hope this has given you a little bit more insight into how we can, of course, never (laughs) remove ourselves emotionally from feeling stressed and worried about our children. I think it comes with the job of being a mom and I just really get it. But I hope that it's given you some information and insight into why we cannot act on our emotions in the sense of suppressing their immune system. And I really, truly hope that you understand why, because you now know, hopefully, that the immune system has to be looked after and build, essentially. We need to build the immune function via the digestive system. So if you know that, it's a lot easier to maybe make the right right choice, and that is to make things at home, use some of the wonderful natural remedies we have at hand and some of the good bacteria and so on and some and incorporate some of those preventative measures that I've talked about today. Now because this is a really important topic in my clinic because I see a lot of children that have problems with the immune system and the digestive system of course I have created an online program that's available on my website annamaria.com.au forward slash boost my bub. And it's a really simple online course that you can do in the convenience of your own home. There's an audio where I explain the immune system in a lot, a lot more detail than I just did now. I go into more detail of the diet and recipes. I go into very specific recipes for some of these wonderful home remedies that you can find. And also there's an ebook that goes along with the audio that goes through every single typical immune compromising situation your child will have. So it'll go through fevers, tonsillitis, conjunctivitis, urinary tract infections, colds and flus, of course. It goes through some of the common skin conditions I see. So all the sort of the common things that we're bound to come across as parents, and that is essentially normal, but where there are some very essential things that we can do to help our children recover faster and also build them and make them more resilient at the exact same time. So it is essentially a way to avoid going to the GP's office and taking antibiotics and and Panadol. So it is a course that is created to help you in those first stages, help you do as much as you possibly can to build and strengthen your child and understand the individual conditions a little bit better. I think the more you understand and feel empowered then you don't have to worry as much and you recognize the symptoms and you can then from there make some good choices at home before you go to the doctor's office. It is important that we implement some healthy factors in our home and not just rely 
on someone else dealing with our children's symptoms. I think it's important really to empower ourselves as parents. It certainly has helped me as a mum to have all this information. And I can see how it has helped my children because there are many situations where I could have potentially have done nothing and they could have felt worse and I could have been relying on medications that are not necessarily um, necessary or that could have compromised their immune and digestive system further. So it's all about empowering you, educating you, and helping to build your baby and child to be a lot stronger and a lot more resilient. So that's available for you on my website, annamaria.com.au forward slash boost my bop. So I would encourage you to go over there, have a look and have a read. It's available 24-7. You simply... You click on it, you buy it, and it comes into your inbox immediately. So you can do this at 2 a.m. if you like, um, which is typically when, you know, the big bad bugs tend to kick into our children. And it's really made because I am so passionate about children's health. I am so passionate about helping these little critters feel healthy and strong and not have to deal with the complications that they can have later in life if they haven't gotten this support in the early days or in the early years of their life. It makes such a big difference. Of course, I always advise that if you are in doubt or if your child is seeming really unwell and the fever is really high and they're lethargic and not their usual self, it is very important that you seek help because there is no doubt that opinions or second opinions from health professionals are very, very important. They're there for a reason. And I'm by no means saying that antibiotics or Panadol or any other, other medical treatments are not a good thing. It's just that we should use them appropriately. Knowing that there is a truckload of things that you can do at home for your children, but also using the help that is available for you and to you when it's appropriate. And I think it's really understanding those two sides. When is it good enough for you to do some very good things at home that can help you prevent unnecessary intervention? So hopefully this has taken the extreme worry out of you as a mom, which I just felt last week with my child. And it really just gave me clarity to see that, of course, we need to be empowered with information and tools in our mama toolbox. And we can then be there for our children in a whole other way. So I hope I have given that to you. And if you want to dive deeper into this knowledge and if you want to embark on this journey and take on some of these great, really helpful techniques that you can use at home, then head on over to the website. I'm always available for questions, of course. So get in touch with me if you want to know if it's right for you or if you have any further questions. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you have any questions or topics that you would like me to speak about, I would love to hear from you. You can get in touch with me via my website, annamaria.com.au. And remember to subscribe so that you get each new episode as they become available. I would greatly appreciate it if you could take a moment to write Mumspire a review on iTunes. And you can support us even further by making a donation on annamaria.com.au forward slash mumspire. Lastly, I want to say a big thank you to our Danish friend Jesper Huff for making our very own Mumspire jingle. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, take care of yourself and your loved ones.